I always think of branding and top of minds is, is very important for the long terms. So those things you do, whether however you're getting out there is you're creating your brand. So it's your message, your brands, and it's top of mind. So at some points, someone's going to see you do something multiple times and they're not going to want to buy or sell or use your services, but there's going to be a time where they are. And as long as you're staying consistent, and I think that top of mind is, hey, I see something that this person's putting out there to the world weekly or monthly or bi-weekly, whatever it might be, there's a bit more likely chance that they're going to call on you. But during the slow times, it's tough. I mean, it can get discouraging. And, I, and what, I, what I, I try to tell myself, and I, and, I, and I swear by this, is that, you know, you got to, you know, every day you got you to gotta be prepared that there's going to be business, someone's going to call. And if they don't, you got to do stuff to be ready for that. Welcome to another episode of the Real Estate Law Podcast. Jason Muth here with Straightforward Short-Term Rentals and Pride Away Stays. And Rory Gill is our broker owner, uh, attorney, real estate attorney, as we always uh, refer to him. And Rory, we're talking to somebody who we know really well because you and I purchased a house from this guy. For today's conversation, we're literally just turning to our backyard. This is a conversation that really should be helpful to anybody working in the real estate space, um, whether you're an agent looking to to really grow an honest business, or if you're um, a broker of an of an office looking to grow your team and your culture. I think this is going to be a good conversation for you today. Yeah, you know, we we dig into a lot of topics on this podcast. You know, about some really complicated investment opportunities or things that attorneys should do differently in the real estate space and. Um, not to say this is going to be a, you know, not a complicated conversation, but sometimes people think about real estate as simply as having an agency, running a team, being connected to your community. And I think that our guest does that really, really well is what I've gotten to know over the past couple of years of getting to know Vinny. Vinny Forsese from Realty One Group Nest. Did I get that right? You got it all. Perfect. Jeez. Vinny. One take. <laughs> one take. Hey, we are a one as take podcast. Yeah. Well, as you're introduced, I was like, man, we should have just went into your basement and done this all together because we're <laughs> from um, three different locations, yeah. I feel. And, you know, we're so close to each other. Yeah. But you know, we, uh, for some reason, we always record in separate rooms. I, I don't know if it's an audio thing. Like I'm nervous that, you know, mics are going to pick up other other, you know, other microphones or whatnot. I know other podcasts actually do record in the same space, uh, but we kind of always just do it in different rooms. In fact, Rory popped home earlier and I'm like, what are you doing here? I thought you're going to be at the office <laughs> to record the podcast. <laughs> yeah, scram. <laughs> <laughs> Vinny, welcome. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. I, I appreciate it. Um, you know, I'm excited to be on and, uh, you, know, you know, go wherever you guys want with this conversation. But, um, you know, like, like I said, I think that what I would love to chat about at some point is just you know, just as a real estate broker, a real estate professional is just understanding your community and getting out there and being, you know, curious of that part of, of our business. Yeah. I mean, that's the backbone of real estate, isn't it? It's knowing a local market, not just, you know, the properties in the market, but knowing the people, um, knowing the trends, uh, you know, knowing the places to shop and the community resources, and then knowing uh, your neighbors and, and being that local expert. And I think that Vinny, you do that really well. I mean, here in our local community, just to give, if you're listening to this and you're just curious as to a glimpse into our life, um, you know, we all live in a relatively new development here in Newburyport, Massachusetts. Um, you know, I think that the first 
home you know, kind of in our new development part of this street closed what two three years ago at this point three years ago yeah yeah just about yeah that. um and the developer uh built um i think 20 about 25 units or so in this area between uh your side of the street and our side of the street uh two different developments but all really kind of a similar look and feel and and yeah. complexion and and it was what attracted us to move here is because we love the community element of this one little development, proximity to the schools, the amount of kids that were here, you know, and it's, it's a, it's a very different situation from what a lot of people in some suburbs have, which is, you know, their acre of land and their fences on both sides. And, you know, you barely know your neighbors and we know other people here in Newburyport that they live right down the street from us. And I can tell they don't know as many people as you and I do in our local community because of the way this community was developed. So, you know, we're talking community in this yeah. podcast, but <clears throat> let me just back up and say, Vinny, give us your background. Like, you know, how did how did all of this come about? How were you able to sell out this entire development right here and all this other work that you're doing? Yeah, you know, so um, quick background. I'm going into my 19th year in real estate. Um, so I've been doing it for quite some time, but I started young. I was 22. It was my first job out of college and kind of just stepped into something I wasn't familiar with. Um, I grew up about a half an hour from where we, where we currently live. And it was a completely different, um, completely different area and upbringing. And I knew it well, and I started my real estate career there and I was successful there. And just like you guys, I moved to Newburyport where we live now. And, and I didn't know anybody. Um, and I'd started with a different real estate brokerage that was local to the area. And the one thing that I was up against with the challenge was I didn't have the same connections I had from where I first started my career for my first seven years. So starting to think about how do I get myself out there? How do I learn about the community, you know, that's around me as a, as a new resident, but also how does that put me out in front of others? So I started doing live videos at any place I could. So I would go into the local um, bagel shop, I'd go into the local, um, like a bar or a, 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 an art studio or anything. And I would just say, hey, do you guys mind if I, I interview you for five minutes, just learn about what you're doing? And it was great because I started to really learn about others. But but when I put it out there, you know, people started to learn about me as well in the, in the conversation. And, and it really helped get my name and my, and my brand out there. So it, was, it really helped in two different ways. So jump forward to, you know, about five, six years ago, I, you know, I was doing those and, and, you know, I just started to make connections and one of them was with a developer, um, not the same one who built ours, <clears throat> but, you know, he gave a, you know, gave me a chance of selling, I think it was 64 different homes at one time, something I'd never done before, <laughs> but, you know, it was, it was, it was my jump into doing more of the new development stuff. And, and from there, it's sort of a snowball to, you know, what I'm doing now today with, with a lot of new developers and builders. When I see your social media, I mean, one thing that kind of stands out is, you know, while you do some things that are branded, you, a lot of your posts are not about you. They're about the community. They're about other small businesses that are in the area. And <clears throat> I'm, it's inter interesting to hear how you use that as a way to kind of get into the community, a new community in the first place. So there, if you had stayed um, in the other town, do you think you would have and you didn't have to do this, do you think you'd be where you are today? And then any tips on other people, uh, you know, getting into the nitty gritty on how to make those connections in the new community? Yeah, well, well I'll say when, my, when I first started, I, the way I got involved more was I, I was involved with our local boards. I volunteered with a lot of things. So I knew a lot of people and, and met a lot of people that way. 
Um, and they knew me as well, you know, just, just from, from that and from, you know, growing up in the area. Um, coming into New Report, I, I just found that, I just found that being, um, being more curious, I think was always the word of like, what are others doing? And I didn't want to make it about, it's just this real estate, this real estate, that, because I just felt like a lot of people are already doing that. And it, and it really just zones people out. So I think if you start off first with, let's, let's learn about what's going on. This let's, and it wasn't just about, Hey, this is a cool bar that just opened up. It, it's more about, let's go in there let's interview the bartender and ask him how he makes his most popular drink. So it was stuff that I thought would people would be finding curious really work from there. Not everybody's, not everybody's comfortable though, doing it on, on camera. And by, by all means, when I first started, I wasn't either. Um, I did, like I mentioned, Facebook live when it was like just starting out. And the reason I did that was because I felt that there was only, you only had one shot. <laughs> People were going to watch it. It went out there. It was more organic. It didn't feel uh, overproduced. It just felt like it was just a really a quick conversation. And if you screwed up, you screwed up. And I, I think um, that helped, you know, it made, it made it a little more human. At least that's the way I felt. Um, but anybody looking to get out there and do those things, you don't have to get in front of a camera. I mean, you could do it. You could do it. You know, I, I've told um, some of our realtors who work for me, um, you know, some, some people, some young moms, they say, you know what, go, go around the town and talk about places to bring your kids on the weekend. You could take video, take photos of videos. You don't have to be in it but you could start like a little blog that way or, or post that way. Um, you could do all different things to just try to get something out there that, that maybe, you know, speaks more to you. So there's all different ways about it. How do you recommend people working through the times where they feel like nobody is paying attention to what they're putting out there? Cause <laughs> you could publish a lot of content. Like we publish a lot of content and we know that people hear it because Anecdotally, people talk to us all the time about the Real Estate Law podcast and the work that you know both Rory and and I do. But sometimes you put the stuff out there and you're just like, I don't know, is anyone listening? <laughs> right. <laughs> right? I, I don't know. You're, you're right, and I, I feel the same way sometimes. I think consistency is important. I think staying true to yourself. You know, don't try to do what other people are doing that you know is some sort of outside of your comfort zone. Um, I think people get trapped into that sometimes. They just see something that's trending and they try to keep doing it. And, and you can tell if they, if they don't feel comfortable doing it, I think others will notice. But um, if there's passion behind it, I think eventually it will catch on. Um, you know, or, you know and, there, and there's an audience for everybody. And I also say that, you know, I could do something very similar to somebody else and we have a completely different audience and a completely different take on it. You know, and, and I think sometimes you may see something that, that intrigues you that, maybe another influencer or, or realtor or, or attorney or somebody's doing, and maybe try to break your own spin. And, and hopefully an audience will grow from there too. Now, you didn't grow up too far from here, right? Like half hour or so? Is that about yeah, right? Was, it, yeah, it felt like New York or anything like right. that. <laughs> right. So, you know, I, I grew up in, in the New York area. I've lived in New England yeah. for over half my adult life. And, you know, you mentioned moving here and not knowing anybody and kind of building up your name. Like in my mind, as someone that moved here from many hours away, <clears throat> Newburyport and towns near Newburyport, in my mind, are about the same thing, right? I know they're not, right? But in terms of building influence and everything, but what you're kind of suggesting is that they're very much not. Even if you just go four, five, six towns away, it's a different set of places to volunteer it's a different crew of people that run the town you know the different people that are the influential influential people in those communities and i could see how even just a couple miles away 
you might feel like you're an outsider, right? When you move to a place like this. So um, I know it's your only perspective that you moved that shorter distance. To me, I think it's all about the same, but dispel that in the minds of other people. Like if somebody else is going to move to, you know, pick a town in Nevada or Oklahoma or something, you probably have to do exactly what you did, even though yeah. you came from many, many miles away versus just a couple miles away. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was, it was tricky. I mean, for me, there was, there was, I also didn't want to hurt me in a, in a different way. So picture, so I grew up in Methuen. So Methuen, again, is only like a half an hour from, from, from the report. But I also didn't want to stop doing everything that was new report, this new report, that. And then for people that I, I still have relationships with to think that I wasn't selling, I wasn't working in their area anymore. So I didn't want to lose that business either. So I, I was kind of careful about that. Um, so it, it could I, I, I was always worried it could burn me and it never did. Um, but sometimes it, I guess, I guess there's that fear, but yeah, you could go into any town. And I think, right. You'd have to want to start with, you know, starting to go in, you, you, you know, going into, I think start with coffee shops or places like that, where it's, you can have, conversations where people work there and, and then kind of lead into that maybe after a little while, you know, for me, I, I always go with things that I like. So I have this, you know, I'll go to like an art studio that I like, Hey, I really like the artists and I have that conversation. I'd like to tell other people about what you're doing. And, you know, I have, I have clientele that, you know, maybe never learned about you. And then you have clientele have never learned about me. And I think it could work both ways. So um, I think, you know, starting it off like that, depending on what that business is, you know, can, you know, can help. No, if, if these relationships have been key to your business, it strikes me that this is a long-term investment. Um, if you're looking to get the next commission, if you're looking to do well next month or next quarter, these relationships aren't necessarily going to pay off. So you have to, you know, you're, you must be thinking very much in the long-term. I mean, how do you, suffer through the the slow periods and have the patience to do it? And how do you train your agents to have that same patience as they slowly grow their business? Yeah, I mean, it's scary. I mean, so I always think of branding and top of minds is, is very important for the long term. So those things you do, whether however you're getting out there is you're creating your brand. So it's your message, your brands, and it's top of mind. So at some points, someone's going to see you do something multiple times and they're not going to want to buy or sell or use your services. But there's going to be a time where they are and as long as that you're staying consistent, and I think that top of mind is, hey, I see something that this person's putting out there to the world weekly or monthly or bi week, whatever it might be, there's a bit more likely chance that they're going to call on you. But during the slow times, it's tough. I mean, it can get discouraging. And, I, and what, I, what I, I try to tell myself, and I, and, I, and I swear by this, is that, you know, you got to, you know, every day you got you to gotta be prepared that there's going to be business, someone's going to call. And if they don't, you got to do stuff to be ready for that. So, you know, Finding distractions that they're gonna not gonna help your business aren't healthy. Um, when I'm not busy, I still come into the office or I still do things like you know a lot of times these videos or getting out to community. I do more of them when I'm not busy because I have the time to, and maybe not posting them all right away. Um, but you know you're, you're trying to build up some stuff like that. So it, it may, mentally you feel like you're busy even sometimes when you're not. Yeah. You know, and then building those relationships is an ongoing thing because just because you're busy or not busy doesn't mean certain businesses also aren't, you know, that same level of busy. Like, right, you know, we're recording this for the end of the year. It's probably going to come out at the beginning of the year, not to date the content too much, but like for some retail uh, might be busy right now. So it might be tough for them to kind of sit down and, you know, do a quick video with someone like yourself. But some of them might be open to it too. And, and they love having, you know, any kind of publicity they can have. 
Um, yeah. And one, one thing, one thing I've, I've learned in, in just the time that I've gotten to know you is that you're not afraid to put yourself out there, period. You know, if it's putting yourself out there and walking to a shop and saying, can I do a quick video with you, interviewing you, talking about your business or showing up at some party with some ridiculous outfit on, <laughs> you know, or, or costume on because you're always good for that. And like now I kind of expect uh, to see you in something a little outlandish if I show up at a neighborhood event. Um, almost like, yeah, I, I got to put that in the back of my head. I'm like, oh my God, like, you know, the, the, you know, holiday party coming up, St. Patrick's Day party, like, you know, Vinny's going to have something on, right? So, but, you know, that that just, that's your personality, right? You know, I think you have that irreverency with your personality. Um, talk about people that don't have that. You know, people that don't want to put themselves out there and don't yeah. have that natural charisma to walk into a room and be okay with poking fun at themselves or others. Yeah, you know, I, I think that was, for me, it was, I, I, I wanted to, I want people to always be comfortable around me. I think you can't take yourself too seriously. And I understand there's all different types of personalities. But for me, no matter every decision I make, I, I try to do things of, I try to act a way of that. How would I how would I perceive that other person if it was me? If I was somebody else looking at me, how would I perceive them? And I, and I try, and I know I walk sometimes a fine line of being kind of goofy or out there, but I also think, hey, listen, I, I could be approachable and I, and I want to be approachable. I want to be able to have a conversation with anybody. And I think that's helped me along the way. Again, I think leaning into what you're comfortable with um, is always helpful. I contrast that with kind of a common realtor trope, which is the the realtor who takes himself a little too seriously. Always has the the cross arm pose, um, the the <laughs> over touched up you know photos, um, and just the branding that is kind of so serious in an effort to look luxurious. But I don't know if that necessarily makes them more approachable. Um, and one of the things I kind of like about your brand and your you know your office's brand is that it looks like anybody could walk in, have a conversation. Um, and not be intimidated by real estate, which can be a really intimidating proposition to a lot of people, especially first-time home buyers. No, and I appreciate you saying that because that that was I, I you know I think when I first started in this business, um, I was intimidated by a lot of real estate agents. I was 22. Um, I didn't know what I was doing, but there was it was a, there was an old school kind of feel to some of the the agents at that time who had been in the business 20, 30, 40 years. And for me, I was like, this is the most frightening thing to pick up the phone and reach out to some other agents that I want to do business with. And I had to get over that myself. And I just kind of keep that in the back of my mind as, as my career has grown and I've been more successful that I was like, I never want anybody to feel that with me, um, whether it's a, another agent or someone else in this business or even another, or just a, a clients. I want them to feel comfortable. Um, and even with our office, we set it up with like, you know, we just wanted it to be less stuffy and kind of feel like you're just hanging out in like a hotel lobby or something like that, where people just come and go and, you know, just, just feel comfortable. Well, I want to pivot a little bit because working, you know, working and being an excess, a successful agent on your own is one thing. Being a broker where you actually manage other agents and are, are responsible for their professional development, what made you want to make that pivot and actually lead your own team in your own office? Yeah, I, I think it was the next natural step. I, um, we, I started off as an individual agent and I, I had a team for a while when I, when I was with 3Max and we were doing great, a um, lot of business. And, and what I found enjoyable in that was helping, like we had, we had a few younger buyer agents and I, I felt it was I, I just, I felt it was pleasurable to help someone else grow and a coach. 
and a lead. Um, and I, I just thought, hey, you know what? I think I could do this on a bigger scale. And it was it was a scary proposition. We're going to be three years old. Well, actually, we just turned three years in, in November. So we're at the heart of COVID when we opened. And um, it's, it's kind of a leap of faith. You know, Shell and I opened the, the, the space and we had two or three agents and we knew we wanted to grow. We didn't know how to grow. And the biggest thing for me is I just didn't want to disappoint anybody. And I still, to this day, I don't want everyone to disappoint anybody because if they, if they work with me, um, I just want to make sure that they have, you know, all the tools and successes that they can have. And at least I'm there for them to help them get there. So when they don't, it's, it's, it, it does weighs on you a little more. Um, than when you're just an individual agent, not, not leading. I didn't realize the office was only three years old. I mean, you know, just similar to, to me, you only know me in this capacity. I only know you in this, in that capacity, but you know, we both had these lives that were either much different or fairly different, you know, four or five years ago and beyond. Think about what you were doing, you know, five years ago before COVID, uh, before the ups and downs you've seen the past couple of years, how are you operating differently today um, whether it's time-wise, technology, uh, you know, some different people skills, like what are you doing differently today that you think you're going to continue doing on in the coming years um, as opposed to how you operated a couple of years ago? You know, it's funny. I think I still um, communicate and operate in a similar fashion, but in a, just a different way. So like we're here sitting on a Zoom and no one knew what Zoom was five years ago. Well, I know I knew it existed, but at least I didn't utilize it in my business. Um, I just think that we can connect quickly with people in a different manner. Um, and, and, and it, and it could still be, um, just as intimate. So just us talking like this versus us sitting down in the same room, I think we can, we could still kind of have these discussions and expressions. So it would real estate, I think it's the same way I, I can deal with people who want to relocate from this, you know, from another area to really make sure that they're comfortable and understand the move. You know, it's a good way to outreach as well. People who haven't gone through the process and at least explain to them how things work. So a lot of consultations and stuff like that we can do, you know, again, right through a computer versus five years ago where it was more in front of each other. And when I first started the business, I remember it was like, you know, you, you, we didn't have e-signatures, at least we didn't use them. So you sat down in front of a lot of people or, or had to mail things and or fax things. Mm-hmm. Sure, we all remember those. And <laughs> it's funny how technology has changed so quickly in, in our businesses. And I also think just the the brick and mortar locations, the importance and what their purposes has evolved quite a bit over the past few years. Yeah, um, I even remember before COVID going into real estate agents offices and there'd be 20 desks and maybe there was one person there. And then COVID accelerated that even more where I don't get the perception that a lot of agents are really working from the space. So I know you have a brick and mortar location. I know you took a lot of pride in building it out. What's the purpose of having that physical presence? Yeah, like, you know, for instance, like I, I kind of staring out right now at our office. So every day we have, so in total, we have we have two offices, brick and mortar. We have about 70 agents who work for us. And I would say we have probably maybe five to seven agents who come into the office religiously. And then we have others that come in at different times. Um, utilize more for like meetings, um, for the most part, them even meeting with us at the office or um, or with their own clients. But people here right now, they're just chit-chatting, doing work because they want to come into a physical space to do work. And, and for me, I'm the same way. I If I try to work from home, I get distracted with other things. So I like to come in and and, and physically do stuff. And, and I think I get more done or I learn more from others because you're in front of others. And I, sometimes that helps motivate you. The other major change I've seen over the past couple of years or those, those couple of years in the immediate aftermath of COVID where you just had that insanely high volume, 
quick sales. I think we developed a lot of bad habits in the industry from in all aspects of the industry, just because things were relatively easy in the space. Things have tightened up considerably over, considerably over the past year and a half. How are you and your agents um, keeping up with the changes? And what are some of the good habits um, that you have in place to get through the, the low volume periods? Yeah, you know, so from a, from a listing side, I think the biggest thing is staying in communication with your sellers and, and you know, guiding them. You know, for me, everything isn't going to just go on and sell right away. So pricing it correctly in the beginning is important. That's not always the case. Um, so it's just having conversations. It's making sure that you're showing them what you're doing to help sell the house. You know, a lot of times it's showing reports where the property is being seen you know, what you're doing to help sell it. So if, as long as a seller sees that you're putting those efforts in, putting it out there, I, I think you can be at no fault. doesn't mean that they're not going to fire you eventually, <laughs> but I think those are, those are the necessary things that you need to do in this market if things aren't selling. What I'm finding with buyers is just a lot of buyers just aren't in the marketplace right now. Um, one thing, for one reason or the other, I, a lot of them got burnt, I think, when everything was flying off the shelves and then the rates raised a lot and a lot of them just, you know, kind of got priced out. The affordability was was a major factor, but now we're starting to see the rates drop a little bit, you know, as we record this. So I I, I do think that we'll see a big, big pickup in terms of, of buyers in the next few months. More so because I think if the rates drop and I just don't think a lot of those buyers bought anything in the last few years where they would have, it, it, there's, there's got to be something that that's going to give at some point. Mm -hmm. Are you seeing agents falling out of the market? you know, are not wanting to do this anymore if their volume yeah, has been so low? So this this number, don't quote me on it, but what I heard, this is, I believe this is from NAR, on a national level, I think about 100,000 uh, real estate agents have left the business in the last year. Again, those those numbers might be a little skewed, but a lot of leaving. And I mean, it, it makes sense. I mean, if, if you're not doing the business and a lot of agents aren't selling right now, there's just not a lot of business to go around for, you know, um, it's very hard to survive in, a, in this industry unless you are, you know, selling or you have a second account. Yeah. And between that and, and the recent legislation and judgments that have come down about commissions, and I'm sure they're in the you know appellate stages right now. Uh, Rory knows more yeah. about that. How do you think that's going to factor into, you know, kind of the profession in, in the coming years? You know, I don't know. It'd be interesting to see. I mean, I, I don't think that, I don't think it was a bad system before. And I, and I think that there's still going to be agency. That's not what they're trying to put it, throw away with. I just think it's a matter of a buyer's agent being able to show what their worth is with their clients and, and understand that they're, you know, for that worth, there's a value to that. I'm going to explain that, but you know, that's only if that's only if co-broke goes away where our seller decides, Hey, I don't want to offer out something to a buyer's agent. Buyer's agent's just going to need to know how to explain that. Um, I'm sure that there'll be more addendums that will assist with that. I, I know we're really early on. Um, but I, I, again, I don't see any change really in horizon. Um, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. No, I mean, locally, there was only a change where, um, the minimum uh, Cobra commission was a dollar and now it's zero dollars. It's not really right. a terribly big difference, but yeah, I think you can always a offer out a dollar. <laughs> no yeah. one ever did, but you could. Um, I mean, so the, but there is a, a change in the culture of foot. And I mean, I, I mentioned bad habits before. I think this one was kind of long extinguished for a while, but I remember 10 years ago, 
um, some buyer's agent saying, you know, work with me, it's really no cost to you, it's free. And that was kind of the crux of the um, the anti-competitive nature of the lawsuit. And it's, I think it's those agents that we have to thank for where the court ended up. Yeah, because I, I think part of the agreements, um, at least when they settled, is you can't use that in the advertising anymore, um, which is true. I mean, you shouldn't have been using that anyways. Um, not that we ever had that in our area, but, you know, there was agents that could search based on what they were getting paid per house versus actual, you know, the criteria of the home. So that's all been eliminated. And, and again, it, and you know this, Rory, it's like every every board and every MLS is, is run a little differently. So, you know, some have different features that others don't. Here in the Northeast, we didn't have anything like that. So it was never really an issue. Um but yeah, I, I just, I think there'll be some changes down the pike, but you know, in the end of the day, I think that agency on both buyer and seller side is very important because it's fair representation. And at least that's, that's what's supposed to happen. So it'd be interesting to see what changes. Yeah. But I mean, you said the key of it there is that buyer agents need to be able to explain and demonstrate their value. And that's what it comes down to. And agents who can do that, I think will be fine as the agency takes on a little bit of a different form. Yeah. And, and I think, and as we mentioned earlier, you know, there's a lot of agents who are leaving this business. And for the most part, the ones that are leaving probably are the ones that shouldn't have been in this industry anyways, for the most part. Um, mm -hmm. Some, yes, we've probably lost some good agents as well, but there's some that really, you know, I think, we'll, I think in the overall scheme of things, we'll have a really, you know, a good environment between really good agents that hopefully can explain the worth on both ends of it. I've kind of equated it to, uh, the parking situation in South Boston, where you don't want to be the first one to take up your parking spot saver, but you don't want to be the last either. Um, you know, meaning that if you're out there talking about it, you want your other pe your peers to talk about it as well. So the buyers start hearing it from everybody. And so, cause, cause you guys are going to have to retrain people that are buying real estate. Uh, it's it's a whole re-education, a whole marketing plan that you're going to do, whether it's word of mouth or whether, you know, the Realtor Awards can help out with that. But I'd like to think that they could help out if this legislation is coming down, you know, and, and it's going to upend the model to an extent. You just kind of have to retrain the people that are going to buy properties thinking that they're not paying anything for that service. Right. You know, and the other, the other problem was, was that, you know, the reason that they created this in the beginning was, you know, it helped, you know, low income to medium income families be able to afford for a buyer's agent and be able to put the rest of their money or savings into their down payment. And they still had, you know, representation. And the reason for that was you couldn't finance your finance those fees. I think if something changes, maybe where you could finance your agency fees, it would still allow, you know, for low to medium income, you know, people be able to afford buyer representation roll into their loan and kind of have everything all set up in, in one spot. So I, I think this little changes like that could happen. I think it would help a lot. Touched on the issue that I want to ask you, pick your brain on next. Um, you know, our area is not unique at all in this sense, but we have an affordable housing crisis. They're really, you know, prices keep going up and up. Um, homeownership is becoming um, less and less possible for a lot of people. What needs to be done on a local level and maybe above that um, to to make, to expand affordable housing opportunities, however they look. You know, it's, it's tough. You're right. I, I agree. In our area, it's, 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 it's such a challenge. I, you know, I think there has to be some more, I guess, flexibility on building requirements. Cause I think obviously the biggest issue is inventory. 
So with, with lack of inventory creates, you know, higher demand, higher prices, and then the affordability, you know, falls with that. So I think if we can actually have some flexibility on what can be built, and I think even like other areas, like um, for instance, Cambridge, I think they just recently allow for people to build without having parking in that past over the summer, which is going to allow now more properties to be built because you don't have a limit on how many parking spaces you need to have per units. So hopefully that helps with the demand in a city like, like a Cambridge where, you know, a new report and some of these surrounding areas, you know, the, the issue that we run into, it's so much money for, for the land and then all the hoops and restrictions you have to jump through and what you can build. And, you know, and I get, I get the reason for that as well, but I think if they, there was some flexibility there, um, it would help. I could just think of those conversations in the Southie community board about building without parking. It's just the comments from the people that want no more development there. I'm guessing that's not just true for that community and other communities. It's tricky. We're just so oversaturated, yeah. you know, up here. And it's, it's so many people want to be in this area and it, it's, it's hard. Um, you know, we've had a lot of my business actually in the last, especially in the COVID years has gone into New Hampshire, mm-hmm. um, just have a lot more lands and, you know, there, there's, New Hampshire is not a steal anymore. And for a while that, you know, you can get a pretty good, you know, price on something. Um, yeah. But now it's, you know, it's tricky. Everything is getting, uh, it's getting really pricey. Well, between the people um, that are the second home buyers or the ones that can now work remotely or the ones that don't mind the further commute, you know, it's definitely spreading some people out further to see where their dollars go. And, you know, those three forces together are driving up that market as well, including, yeah. you know, Southern Maine and everything. Before we get to a couple of final questions, I wanted to ask, uh, what's it like working with, you know, these local real estate attorneys like Rory in your business, Vinny? You know, how do you work the attorneys into your workflow? How do you depend on them? You know, what bugs you about having to work with real estate attorneys? <laughs> Always good relationships, especially local real estate attorneys, because I think it's important to have those relationships in the first place, because it's as easy as picking up a call, picking up a phone and making a call to ask a quick question, you know, having those lines of communication, because I, I think, <clears throat> especially where our businesses kind of intertwine so often, you know, having somebody who's at a local standpoint who knows the legal end of things, it just helps a lot with, you know, with my business as well. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, anybody local, somebody you can grab a coffee with and be able to hand business to, and, and it just makes transactions and everything else so much easier. Let me flip that to Rory. What's it like working with all these local brokers? Real estate agents can be a pain in the butt, I'm sure. <laughs> it is about the relationship because um, how people, without it, if it's just a phone call or just an email, it's really difficult to understand somebody, where they're coming from um, and how they're doing. And, you know, real estate agents are known for having egos to some degree. So uh, making sure that you are constantly working with them and then making them look good to their clients in a way that, you know, doesn't undermine your, your obligations or what you had to say, but, you know, holding them up and, you know, if you can work with them to strengthen their relationships with their clients, then you're going to strengthen your relationship as an attorney, I think with the agents. Um, but you have to, you have to have a relationship with them. Otherwise they're an anonymous person at the other end of the email. I think it's a good point you just made too, because, you know, being able to kind of have that balance where, you have to do your job and you have an obligation from a legal standpoint of what you're looking at, but also you, you have, you can't be throwing the real estate agent under the bus either. <laughs> so being able to kind of make sure that in the end of the day, you know, the, everything's taken care of and, 
you know, the agent doesn't feel undermined. It's not an easy task, I'm sure. But, you know, if you could do it well, it's, it's a good way to, to manage your business. Yeah. And that goes the other way too. Sometimes you want to make sure the real estate agent isn't going to um, throw you under the bus the first possible moment they have the opportunity to do so. So that's uh, that does go both ways. <laughs> not a good start to any relationship. <laughs> it's always easy to point the finger at the other person, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's get to our final questions. We ask of all our guests just to wrap up the interview and to get to know you a little bit better, Vinny. Uh, first question we have, tell us something, if you can get on stage for half an hour and talk about any subject in the world with zero preparation, what would that be? Oh, gosh. I think I would talk about um, the New England Patriots. <laughs> and just because I watch them all the time, and I think I could yep. talk about them for half an hour. Yeah, I think a lot of people could. I don't know if they want to <laughs> these days, but, you know, <laughs> that's a yeah. whole separate topic. Um, second question, tell us something that happened early in your life or career that impacts the way that you're working today. Um. Probably um, in high school, I went from uh, being kind of like a little more on like bullied in the beginning when I was a, when I was early on a freshman playing sports. And I remember as I got to be a senior, I, I was the captain of my football team. We we're very successful. Also, that always stuck in the back of my mind of like just not being not treating people bad and making sure they took care of everybody. And um, I feel like those experiences I had when I was, you know, earlier on kind of changed the way that I wanted to be as a person, as a leader. And, and I kind of let brought myself into real estate the same way. Just treat everyone right. Love you know, it. you don't, yes. you don't always understand everyone's background. You know what, so, you know, don't know what they've been that's, through. That's don't know where they're coming part. from. Don't, you know, assume that you know everything. Yeah. I once heard a quote, don't be judgmental, be curious. I always, that always stuck with me. I always thought that was pretty cool. All right. So Rory, all my questions are not judgy. They're all curiosity questions. All right. <laughs> Final question. Tell us something you're listening to or watching or reading these days. Anything in the world? Um, listening to reading. I'm listening. I'm actually reading a really good um, documentary. Oh, not documentary, but um, it's like a written story on um, Anthony Bourdain, which I find fascinating. I enjoyed his shows. And this is, uh, it's been pretty cool. Cool read to kind of understand his life. We love Anthony Bourdain. I haven't seen his show in a long time. Obviously, he's passed away, but, you know, CNN used to run them a lot. I'm sure he still does, but, you know, it's such great content. He actually had a connection to Provincetown, where we yeah. operate, too. Yeah, he, he lived there for Yeah, that's, that's a big, big part of him. Um, you know, when he started, he was a, like a clean dishes in, in Provincetown and kind of found his love for cooking and, and being in a kitchen there, actually, which is funny. Yeah, and being worldly, too, you know, kind of having yeah. that open mind that, you know, attracts so many people to P-Town. Hey, listen, Vinny, this has been a great conversation. Uh, I know we've talked many, many times uh, over the past couple of years, but never officially on camera and uh, on audio as part of the podcast. So, you know, we're really grateful that you are here. Um, Vinny Forsese is with Realty One Group Nest, and I'm going to read this off your website. They pride themselves on their thriving, forward-thinking environment and unique culture. And the cool <laughs> is capitalized. And that's how I oh, yeah. how, that's how I see you guys. It's a little little irreverency, a little cool, a little dorky, but that's okay. We love we love we love that that look and feel for you guys, Vinny. We don't take ourselves too seriously. Yes. Or yes. the senior around the uh, around the neighborhood. Yeah, exactly. Um, hey Rory, where can people find you? Um, if you just go to RoryGill.com, you'll see the different ways you can get in touch with me and the different ways I can work with you. 
Yep. And we will link up your website and Vinny, all of your stuff, rognest.com. We'll link that up in the show notes as well. Um, if you've enjoyed this episode, we love five-star reviews and we love all your comments. So please comment away. If you want to be a guest on the podcast, you could find me at jasonmuth.com. My email is there and you can reach out to me. Vinny, thank you so much for the conversation. Mr. Gill, thanks for being here. Yes. Thank you. Sorry, Jason. Always a pleasure, guys. Yes. And thank you for listening. Thank you.